A key component of the modern world economy, the chemical industry delivers products and innovations to enhance everyday life. It is also an industry in transformation, where chemical executives and workers are delivering growth and industry-changing advancements while responding to pressures from investors, regulators, and public opinion. Discover how leading companies are approaching these challenges here on The Chemical Show. Join Victoria Meyer, president of Progressio Global and host of The Chemical Show, as she speaks with executives across the industry and learns how they are leading their companies to grow, transform, and push industry boundaries on all frontiers. Here's your host, Victoria Meyer. Hi, this is Victoria Meyer. Welcome to The Chemical Show. This is our first episode of 2022. I hope everybody is ready for a great year. I know that I am. And to get things started with The Chemical Show, make sure you are listening and subscribing so that you get the latest episodes every time. This year, the other thing I'm really excited about is we are launching The Chemical Community. So The Chemical Community is an online community just for chemical industry professionals where we can engage and dialogue on topics related to key trends and topics. And of course, an opportunity to discuss what you heard on The Chemical Show this week and more. There's going to be opportunities for live expert discussions, Q&As, and much more. So it's also where you're going to get the show notes from the podcast after the first two weeks. For the first couple of weeks, they're going to be available live on the website. And after that, they'll go into the chemical community for you to get access. So just visit thechemicalcommunity.com to get more information and to get signed up and to join the chemical community. This week, I am speaking with Trey Hamblett from Industrial Information Resources, otherwise known as IIR. Trey is an expert on chemical markets and really specifically focuses in on the capital and maintenance markets. So for over 28 years, maybe almost 30 years, Trey will give us that info in a minute. He has been working with industrial market intelligence gathering and database management. And I invited Trey to join us today to really share an outlook on what he expects to see in 2022 as we think about chemical markets, both from a business and marketing perspective, but also as we look at growth and investment. So Trey, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Yeah, glad to have you here. So first of all, why don't you just give us a real brief overview on IIR, because a lot of people may or may not be familiar with it. Absolutely. Glad to do so. I'll share my screen. I had just a couple of really quick slides to kind of demonstrate who we are. We're we're a 35-year-old market intelligence provider for the industrial markets. And in addition to just the chemicals industry, we track all industrial markets, power, refining, pharmaceutical. And we do this on a global scale with offices around the world. Industries that really make up the industrial market as a whole. And as you've already said, I focus exclusively on the chemical processing industry for both North America and the globe. And what's unique about Industrial Info is we take all of the hundreds of researchers we have sitting on the planet on that map I showed a moment ago, and we take all those individually identified projects that we've harvested, what's the investment value, when will it take place, who's going to do it, what equipment will it require, what technologies will it require. And we put all of that in a variety of formats for our clients from traditional databases where you search for projects and plants, or you get Outlook products forecasts, market analytics to uh, news and additional content. So it's a great organization. I've been here for 30 years and uh, very proud to share some of it with you. 
Awesome. Thanks so much. So first of all, let's talk a bit about you maybe, because how did you get started working in this space? This is not necessarily an area that I think a lot of people think about going into. So some of it sounds cliche, but maybe it was destiny. I'm not entirely certain. I was a very young man back in school, and there was this very, very small company in Houston, Texas that was employing college students and offering to help pay for some of their education. And I thought, well, gosh, I've got family in Houston. I've got a girlfriend and this company that wants to pay for some education. So I joined the company 30 years ago. And our founder and CEO, Ed Lewis, is a very growth-oriented individual, and he continued to give me the opportunity to grow at the company. And probably about 20 years or so ago, we started these industry verticals that I showed you where we track all... And I got adopted into tracking that particular industry, and it became a passion. And I've had a really nice career tracking you know, big events and big companies in the chemical industry. And it's always been a very exciting space, and it's changed dramatically over the years that I've followed it. Yeah, I bet it has. So let's talk about recent events. What was the biggest surprise of 2021 versus where the year started or where you maybe predicted or expected the year to go? You know, it's an interesting question. Obviously, everyone, whether it be on a personal, professional, or commercial scale, was certainly hoping for better than 2020 and didn't take much to be an improvement over that, right? That's true. It didn't take much to be an improvement. And so 2021, from a chemical industry perspective, really turned out to be more of a year of in-plant capital and also focus on maintenance projects. When we talk about what we ended up with versus what we started with, I'll share a slide here in just a moment. But, you know, we went into 2021 not knowing what the landscape was, how quickly it was going to recover. And one of the, the good surprises is just how quickly the consumer became resilient, right? We saw the demand for plastics. We saw the demand for everything chemical really recover very, very quickly. And we're all seeing that both commercially and personally and professionally in supply chain constraints, et cetera, not enough of certain materials and then not the means to move those materials. And so one of the big surprises is just how resilient many of the global markets were in the demand picture. And coming out of a year in 2020 where everybody was anxious to restart, it wasn't quite as simple to restart everything to the full scale that it once was and all the commodity price surprises, et cetera, et cetera. So I'll share just a really quick slide and we can chat about it as you wish, but get my computer page down here for me. And while you're doing that, I'm just going to interject and let people know if you guys are listening to the audio version of the podcast, you may actually want to kick on over to YouTube and check out the YouTube version where you're going to actually be able to see these charts. And then also we'll be including some of them on the blog post as well. Yeah, very good point. Essentially, this looks like a really busy bar graph, but it's what we have in Industrial Info for identified as a potential spend opportunity versus what actually became a reality going all the way back to 2010. So those gray bars appear at the top that in 2014 forward, they equal about $50 billion worth of potential construction start spends in each of those years is evident of the NGL revolution and the excitement around our cost advantage on the global stage, very cheap and inexpensive chemical commodities we can manufacture here. And then of course, you get the reality. What can you actually see move forward of all that? And these are the blue bars. And in 2013, 2014 forward, you know, we see spending uh, become a reality that's twice what it was in prior years. And as, again, thanks to NGLs, hiccups in the road, commodity collapse in 2016, COVID in 2020. But you do see that, as I referenced earlier, that improvement in 2021, we had a nice increase. We're getting back up there. We're seeing things tick up. What you see in 22 and 23, these huge orange bars that, again, show active yeah. project spend in that potential $50 billion or greater range, 
is no one saying uncle. You think about it. For those of you that are either developers developing a project or a plan owner, you've got projects that you've been keeping alive now for five or six or seven years, just waiting for that perfect opportunity to execute it. So there's a great deal of optimism that our place on the global stage as a chemical industry is going to remain more competitive than the Middle East, Europe, certainly Latin America, China, and many regions. So the reality becomes what we actually get in 2022. There's a tremendous number of mega projects, what I call projects have a value of $500 million or more. And a lot of those projects are going to get kicked again to the right. So we hope we see an improvement in 2022 that continues our growth, what Mm. we started to see in 21. Got it. Makes sense. Is labor going to be an issue with this? I mean, I think about our ability to actually execute on projects. A lot of it is tied to the ability to have labor, people to do the physical work, installations, et cetera. How much is labor going to influence this, do you think? You know, I get asked that question quite often. I bet you too. Uh, and if you think about it, labor is not a new constraint on the industry, right? Labor challenges are something that we've been faced with since the beginning of the NGL explosion back in 13 and 14. And the industry has dealt with it quite well. Obviously, a lot of challenges and learning experiences in those first few years and workers jumping ship for per diem fees and travel rates right. and hourly increases, et cetera. So it's going to continue to be a challenge. Do I anticipate it being a bigger challenge than what the industry's overcome? I don't particularly. I think we continue to face the challenges that we've become very accustomed to, and it probably plays an equal role as to what it has in past years. That's good to know. So let's turn to 2022. What's the economic overview and outlook that you guys see for 22, and how does that affect the chemical industry? I guess I'll start with maybe just this brief mention of commodity prices. So this is a price chart for some of the key commodities. Ethylene is this bottom blue line, and it's really a building block commodity for the chemical industry, right? And obviously, we've seen that resurgence in demand that I mentioned earlier, and it's really kicked up the prices for plastics and all the polyolefin chains. And ethylene's come back down a little bit now that we've gotten most of those fleet of plants operational again. and But the commodity prices are probably going to be a little bit of a advantage to some degree because it's increasing margins. And we've got some expectations that you know we're going to get rewarded for the investments we make in new capacity and new construction. We're going to see some significant projects, probably CP Chem on their next Ethylene 2 project. You know, we've been tracking a very large project of them also in Baytown that they just came out publicly and confirmed as well in recent weeks. So there's going to be a few large projects, but I think a good portion of 2022 is going to be rekindling the engineering design, the economic evaluations, cost analysis, getting ourselves prepared to see potentially another round of petrochem construction that'll be a shovel in the ground in 2023. Yeah. In fact, what's been interesting is somebody I've talked to recently had commented that there was not as much announcements and economic activity around investing in chemicals as they would have otherwise seen during peak markets, right? Such tightness that we've seen and high prices. But it sounds like what you're saying is that there's a bit of a latent demand and we're going to see the underpinnings of it coming up over the next year. Yeah. And we have to remind ourselves that we've got nine and a half billion pounds of new ethylene capacity that's starting up here in the next few months. 
We've got a tremendous increase. We've got a world-scale methanol unit from Methanex that's under construction in Louisiana that'll be putting product into the commodities market soon. And as I mentioned a moment ago, you've got three or so huge ethylene plants, Shell in the Northeast and others here in Texas that are going to be putting a tremendous amount of capacity into the market. So it's not like we don't have new capacity or new investments. We just have, we still have a tremendous amount that's currently underway. Got it. Interesting. I'm going to go off topic here for you. So, you know, we'll see where this goes. What about the other infrastructure needed to support that growth, right? So the talk of the town across every industry and even individuals in non-chemical and non-industrial lives understand this whole issue around supply chain availability and, you know, just the ability to move product back and forth. And when we think about all of this growth that's going to happen in chemicals and petrochemicals, as you say, you know, billions of pounds of product coming online. Do we have enough of the logistics and supply chain infrastructure to support it? Has there been enough investment in that space? So when you think about specifically the chemicals industry and you think about the United States, traditionally you think about Houston, Texas, right? You're not thinking about the port of LA, which is having tremendous problems. You're not thinking about East Coast ports, et cetera. Although there are chemical commodities that go in and out of both the East and the West Coast. We have fertilizers that float in and out of the East Coast of Europe and whatnot in some degree. But you traditionally think of Houston. And I've listened to and visited with the Houston Port Authority on a number of occasions. And we have a world-scale operation I can't think of the gentleman's name right now. He's a captain, a former Bill captain. Deal. Is it Deal? Yeah. You know, if you've ever listened to his presentation, he's very enthusiastic about what he does. And he's reiterated the technology and the infrastructure that they've planned and scheduled and how they can turn ships faster than any port around the world. So I feel like our home region, which is where a bulk of the petrochem and specialty chem commodities come in and out of the States has done a tremendous job. Now, on the flip side of that, though, again, similar to the labor issue, I remember attending numerous planning meetings with different organizations for the last four or five years. And a lot of the discussions that they were challenged with was qualified drivers for hazardous materials across state lines and interstate drivers, et cetera. Again, not a new challenge, something that's been, you know, a challenge for the industry for many, many years. So I'm not of the opinion that those logistic constraints are something that rein in or hold back our investments. I think we're pretty adaptive to those sort of challenges. Got it. So that you think those things will just get resolved and will continue progressing forward. Yeah. It's unfortunately part of what makes things somewhat more expensive and a little longer to achieve. But again, we have economies of scale here in the U.S. for chemicals that other countries would just really, really enjoy having. So we'll persevere through those things. I'm certain of it. So what does the role of green play into these investments, right? So, you know, there's a lot of talk about chemical recycling and et cetera. There's green hydrogen, there's green chemistries. How does green factor in? Yeah, so I'll start the discussion around, you know, the green hydrogen, the power to X, which I put up just a brief slide. Uh, Most people, I think by now, probably appreciate what it is. I remember about three and a half years ago where I was sitting when someone said, you know, we need to start tracking this power to X trend. And I thought, hmm, they said power and they had this X variable. It didn't say chemicals, so it doesn't apply to me. You know, it's not mine. And I've learned it obviously is because we're taking this renewable energy, wind, solar, hydro, what have you, and producing a green hydrogen commodity, which, you know, it became something that was two and three years ago, 
a lot of boardroom discussion, a lot of C-suite discussion about how do we get there? What is it? How do we capitalize on it? And we really started seeing that discussion come out of the boardrooms and closer to a project planning room and a planning discussion. And as the slide illustrates, you know, we've got 300 plus ran the numbers this morning, and I think we're closer to 400 plus projects around the world that are just specifically green hydrogen. You know, wow. and it's 100 plus billion dollars around the world. It very much is becoming a part of the discussion. And the green hydrogen, depending on what region of the world you're in, is being used for a number of things, either further take that hydrogen and produce an ammonia, the ammonia for potentially an ag purpose, but then also in Europe, it's just simply a factor of it's simpler to store ammonia, transport it. There's logistic mm-hmm. networks that are already in place for the ammonia. And then going all the way to methanol, we've seen technologies developed that's taking green hydrogen all the way to sustainable aviation fuel and things that resemble petroleum wax. The chemistry that's being developed is just mind-boggling on how they're taking this green hydrogen and getting down to something like a petroleum wax. But here in the States, it's so far being targeted towards fuel cells, right? Transportation, moving equipment, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, almost 400 projects. Are these really the biggest companies that are doing the work? I mean, how does green trickle down to small and mid-sized companies? That's a great question. If I look at the owners and I have a slide, I just didn't prepare it for today, but I have a slide that shows a top 10 and 20 list of who are these companies. And it's kind of similar to what I recall when NGLs boomed here in the US, we had a lot of companies we'd never heard of that were proposing huge projects. Badlands NGL, and we had all these companies that were coming out of the woodwork, even the methanol market currently, Sandpiper Methanol. I mean, there's company. And so similar here in the power to X space, we're seeing a lot of new companies, new investors that are saying, wow, this is going to be something we need to be one of the first to arrive in this market. And I had not seen until late or heard conversations from the big firms like a Chevron, an Exxon, a Dow, others that were considered as technology. But of late, I've been seeing and hearing that conversation in those organizations and they're including in their three and five year planning discussions, the installation of electrolysis units to produce green commodities, where these green commodities even become supplemental feedstock options for some of their large petrochemical plants. So it's very much uh, becoming a part of the conversation. That's interesting. And what about kind of just the geography of this? So, you know, I know that we're seeing investment here in North America. Is it really a North America and Europe focused investment at this point? Is it a global investment profile? What do you see? I took some quick notes when I was doing the query this morning, wishing I had updated this slide last week, because there's like said about 400 projects, 250 of those 400 projects are all in Europe. So Europe's wow. a big part of that stage, right? Big, big part of it. And there's an entire you know series and discussion we could do on why, but you know the EU and, and that region has been big on pushing these green commodities. Oceana, Australia in that region has been big, about 50 of those projects. And then you get into regions like ours, Latin America and others, which you know have a handful in comparison, although we're starting to see that number grow almost weekly. So the geography is really centered around where it originated, which is in Europe. Yeah, that kind of makes sense, right? I think especially given the sustainability focus around it, right? And environmental focus, I guess. um, And we didn't talk about the recycling chemicals. If you want to chat on that for a second, I can. Sure. I don't have a slide for that particular topic, but I can say that, you know, I remember 
probably 10 or 12 years ago, finding companies that were looking at these very small five and 10 and $15 million plants to take post-consumer plastic and put a thermal process and produce a plastic oil they would sell to someone. And we just, it was a handful of them. We saw very few of them and it was very experimental and it was something we thought, gosh, how will they ever scale this, right? Then you have the Alliance to End Plastic Waste, you know, sponsored by Lyondell and Dow and, and all the big parties of the chemical industry. And it's become a much, much larger focus, so much so that we've actually created a product code to track that commodity or that process within our own database. Oh, and I don't have the accounts for it off the top of my head, but if I look at globally, there's a substantial number of those projects that we're tracking around the world where some of the big ones like Chevron and others are looking at installing Exxon as well, installing these at a scale that they actually take the recycled plastic back to a molecular level that they use it as a feedstock in their crackers to again, supplement their feed. So it is very quickly becoming a consistent trend. And we're fortunate here in the US that we have an infrastructure. One of the biggest challenges in listening to the um, shareholders of Alliance in Plastic Waves is one of the biggest challenges is infrastructure to collect the material get it back to a point where it can be processed. And we're very fortunate that you, me, and most people container on the curb. We, yes. we recycle in mass where that infrastructure, it doesn't exist around the world. And I think as that organization helps to put that infrastructure in place around the world, it'll become, it'll grow even faster. Yeah, well, and it's interesting because the largest, particularly like consumer products companies who are using a lot of these plastic materials for packaging and et cetera, that's some very strong goals and targets around the amount of recycled material, post-consumer recycling. And to get there is a huge investment. And it's not just the investment at, you know, let's just take from a chemical recycling perspective, but it's the investment at the collection points. And I think that's going to be the biggest challenge. It's around education. It's around having the recycling infrastructure and the collection infrastructure. Because even in the U.S., where recycling is readily available, it's not well understood. It varies from neighborhood to neighborhood, town to town, city to city. So there needs to be a lot more cohesion. And I know that, as you say, Alliance to End Plastic Waste is doing a lot to try to support that, as well as some of our other industry groups. Great. What else do you see happening as we go forward into 22? What should we be watching for? So I put a slide up here uh, that I've I've used a couple of times throughout the year. And I guess the broadest way of answering the question is the green commodities I made reference to earlier that when I said they're leaving the boardrooms and they're entering uh, yeah. planning rooms, I tell our clients and prospects, although I think power to X and green hydrogen and plastic recycling is something you may not see, something you have billable hours for in the next six to 12 months, when you attend your uh, discussions and planning meetings with owners, you're going to start hearing about this more consistently. So we want to you know, make sure they're aware of the trend. So I think that's something that's going to continue to be a part of the growing conversation in 2022. We've seen the maintenance spend be a huge priority as the footprint of the chemical industry has gotten significantly larger over the last five years. That's not only increased the amount of maintenance, but if you look at the technologies and the demands that the C-suite has on accountability, sustainability, cost, et cetera, maintenance has become a huge priority. And then as I referenced earlier, in-plant capital spend was a big part of the spend for 2021. When I look back, if you think back to that slide earlier, I said there's 
another potential $50 billion worth of construction starts for 2022. But yet we know that that number will likely come down to maybe a $20 billion number. About $16 billion of that earmarked right now is in-plant capital. There's wow. automations, retrofits, rehabilitation. How much, how much of this is influenced? And I think about certainly North America, the U.S. Gulf Coast, which is where a lot of our chemical capabilities and capacity is. You know, we had the freeze, winter storm Uri, which knocked out a large swath of Texas and Louisiana power and plants in February. And then Hurricane Ida in, I think it was end of August, that really impacted Louisiana. How much of that implant spend was dedicated to just repairs because of issues versus yeah. taking and helping the clients move the next step forward? Do you have an idea around that based on your conversations? I don't have an idea what that number is, but I would tell you that it's not a substantial part of it. This might sound odd, but I mean, if you think about every year, there's very few exceptions that we don't have in the Texas, Louisiana, Alabama, Mississippi coast. There's very few years where we don't have significant disruption. Now, you know, we had a several years of double whammy. So when I look at Louisiana two years ago, what was it? Two or three hurricanes, Laura and others, you know, landed within the same strike zone within two or three weeks of each other. So we always have these unforeseen weather or other uncontrolled events. And I don't think that those events played a significant role in spiking the implant capital. I think the implant capital this year really became almost a necessary function, meaning that when we got to 2021, the C-suite wasn't releasing billions of dollars for grassroots projects and unit additions as they had in prior years, because everybody's still trying to understand how stable is the landscape, you know, how firm is the footing economically and socially and demand and so forth. And we saw commodity prices rise and people said, okay, well, demand is going to recover. That seems obvious. So let's do those must-do projects and let's also tackle those key investments that we know is going to increase profitability. I've made this whole conversation and haven't used the three letters ESG, and I'm surprised to have it because that'll be a big topic in our discussion in January when we do our market outlook. It's a huge topic, isn't it? Yeah. We have our annual outlook coming up in January here in Sugarland, and a large portion of it is focused around ESG, which includes plastic recycling, which includes green energy, right? So it's really the umbrella for some of those things that we've talked about already. So I think some of those implant capital investments are also ESG motivated. Where do we capture emission? Where do we hold ourselves accountable? Even if it's not decreasing in emission, it's how do we calculate it, hold ourselves accountable for it, and so forth. So what are three things that we should be watching out for in 22? So if you, know, if you were putting your crystal ball to work, what are the things that you think are going to be really impactful to the chemical industry in 22? Probably, you know, a significant of that portion that's represented in this slide, the consumer continuing to spend and inflate and elevate demand. And if you think about the packaging habits, you and I were talking about Amazon deliveries and our doorbell going off routinely throughout the day. You look at the packaging habits, those are all indicative of chemical demand because of the plastics they're packaged in or the chemicals, et cetera, the personal device. So the consumer is a big, big part of that. And if we continue to see strength in the consumer, that's going to spell good for the chemical industry. The green initiatives, which we've gone over numerous times already today, the ESG movements, those are going to become commonplace discussion in most every planning meeting. And then the traditional growth, if you think about it, I was listening to one of the executives from Chevron talk at an event here a couple months ago in Pasadena, 
And I don't recall whether it was their own analytics team that put this together or where he picked it up from, but he quoted the fact that there's another 350 million people that will be in our population over the next 20 to 25 years. That's a whole nother United States spread across the globe. And so if you just look at the traditional growth, housing, agriculture, population growth, that's going to continue to be tremendous for the chemical industry. So it's traditional growth, it's green initiatives, and it's a strength of the consumer. And do you see demand destroyers out there? Or is it just the same turned upside down? Yeah, demand destroyers. I don't know that I've been asked that question before, but you know, <laughs> if, if there was a demand destroyer, we all know what five letters would be and it's COVID, but it appears that we're even with these newest strains that it's not bringing us to our knees. And so it's hard to predict a, an element we haven't seen before. That was a big one. I hope there's not another one of that size out on the horizon for us. I, yeah, I agree. We all hope so. Anyway, well, Trey, this has been really great. I appreciate you joining us and sharing your insights and outlook for 22. And thanks for joining The Chemical Show. Hi, and very much enjoyed it. Everyone, Happy New Year. Absolutely. And thanks to everyone for listening. Please share this episode with your friends and colleagues. And don't forget to like, share, and follow us on all your favorite podcast players. Thanks. We've come to the end of today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed your time with us and want to learn more. Simply visit thechemicalshow.com for additional information and helpful resources. Join us again next time here on The Chemical Show with Victoria Meyer.